I'm Morgan. I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance, a podcast about romance novels. About finding love after trauma. About getting flirty with the barista. About telling big things to your best friends. About finding yourself in your 20s. About making love to the person you like at a party on a bunch of coats. It's about redeeming the villain. It's about making eyes across weird amounts of spaces and times. It's about AUing the AU. It's about the Lloyd Dobler stalking conundrum. (laughs) But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And our fanfics. (laughs) Ourselves. We're blowing at this intro. And for one more episode, just kidding. Uh, But for this one more episode, it is also about fanfiction. This, our final installment of Fanfictuary. Mm-hmm. Reader's choice, the listener's choice. Drumroll, please. <laughs> this is terrible. Here's the pencil, make it work, by Ignatius Trout. All one word. All regular letters. Thank you, Ignatius. Let me read the summary to you. Please do. Harry thinks... Why is Malfoy working in a coffee shop in Muggle London? Is a much simpler question than, are you going to accept that Auror offer? And if you don't, what will you do? Notes. For fire flavored. My submission for the final year of HD underscore holidays. Smiley face. Text emoji. Stole my title from Richard Sykin's litany in which certain things are crossed out. So what? what's a... What's HD underscore holidays? No idea. That sounds like a live journal thing. Well, I think it's, there are certain like challenges that are put out in fan forums Mm -hmm. that have like themes or writing prompts that everybody can kind of do their own own riff on. Sure. Like there's a smut week in Star Wars that's super fun. Yeah. It's funny that they create a smut week. As if every day of the calendar year isn't an opportunity for smut. Yeah. Fair. I think that's a really fair observation. But yeah, the fi- a bunch of fans will sometimes do challenges. They usually have a time limit. They usually have, like, they operate around a theme. For the Smut Week Challenge in Star Wars, uh, they usually have, like, a different theme for every day. So they'll be, like, office smut or, like, there often are romance tropes uh, for Smut Week. So that's always fun. Like, that's a whole part of mm-hmm. fanfic where the interactions of authors with each other is incredibly generative. And, like, they're just, you know, they're challenging each other to produce work. Yeah. It's like a like a writing workshop, like a one you could take in school. Yeah. Um, except there's no designated adult looking over, peering peering over your printed off work at you. Or someone who doesn't get it, right? Like no one like wanders into Smut Week in a fandom and is like, I don't understand why you've decided to make Malfoy a barista. Well, you really took the wind out of my critical sales there. (laughs) Sorry. Isabel. 
No way. I think it's great that Draco Malfoy is a barista in this. I actually think it fits, right? Like, I was thinking, like, the depiction of the coffee shop is actually kind of like a upscale sounding coffee shop with, like, slow drips and, like, a Chimax, you know? Like, and that, to me, fits for Draco. If he's going to work at a coffee shop, it's not going to be some, like, run-down grunge place. It's, it's, it's going to be a place where people are like, um, how were these beans fired? Yeah. Coffee shop versus bar, something I think about a lot. Mm. A coffee shop is a place that's like more intentionally transient. Mm -hmm. And if you are choosing to stay, you are expected to be pretty quiet, right? Whereas like a bar is like a party. You've got to be like a dynamo. That's not a Draco Malfoy situation. No, he would not like bar regulars. You're absolutely right. Hot people jobs when you're in your early 20s. Also when you're in your late 20s. Also, a job I would love to have. I feel like I never had a hot people job. Were you a hostess at a cool restaurant? I was about to. Yeah, I was about to. I did get fired from it, though. (laughs) I feel like that's a hot person job, being the hostess. I was for sure bottom of the ladder. (laughs) I'm sure that's not true. But but in hindsight, absolutely. Yes, that is a that. You know, I look to my left. I look to my right. Are the people around you hotties? You're in a hot person job. Congratulations. Good job. You're in a hot person job. I also feel like hosted a cool restaurant is especially a hot person job because like so, so little hinges on your personality. A desperation to please helps a lot. An ability to feel both aloof, but also like chummy. Like I think about like cool restaurants where a host or a hostess has like, we were really able to squeeze you in. And I'm like... Uh, it's like intimate and like, you know, there's like, there's nothing better than a hot person host <sighs> telling me that they were able to squeeze me in. Or if I made a reservation for like a specific table and I was like, actually, can I get a booth? And they're like, let me see what I can do. I'm like, fuck. You have to have like a whole range of size that you can call upon. It's so true. Honestly, you have to have your Kathleen Turner sign. You have to have, like, you know what I mean? Like, <sighs> like you got to do lots of different size. Well, do you think that I'm aloof and chummy? Yes. Then why did they fire me? I don't know. Obviously, they were idiots and they wanted to fail. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I think hot person job, working at one of the hot person grocery stores, your Whole Foods, your Trader Joe's, your Fresh Time Market, your Farmer's Market, right? Hot grocery stores. Barista at a fancy coffee shop. That's a hot job. Absolutely. Vet tech. Hot person job. I've never met an ugly vet tech in my whole life. I have only met vet techs that made me want to risk it all it's so true i was convinced by a vet tech that my like trash eating rescue hound needed to have her teeth clean or she'd get heart disease and i'm like i don't think it's the teeth cleaning that's gonna prevent her heart disease i think it's me preventing her from eating actual trash which will cause an obstruction in her tum tum i don't think it's the heart disease that's gonna get lula yeah i just don't but i was convinced by a hot vet tech. Yeah, hot people jobs. Yeah, and and so Harry Potter, okay, this story takes place post Wizarding World War. Wizarding World War. It's a wrap. The Battle of Hogwarts Dunskies. 
Voldemort's defeated. It's not an AU in which Voldemort won. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, it's not even an AU, really. There's just a continuation. And uh, how have they continued? Well, Harry and Ron are roomies in Muggle London, where Harry gets to lay low because he's become such a big celebrity in the wizarding world. Which brings me back to my, like, the biggest beef I ended up having when I first finished Harry Potter was realizing it was a book about a popular jock winning a war. (laughs) TBH, popular jocks win wars. Yeah, but, like, who cares? Like, I don't want to, in my fiction, in my fiction, I don't want big, he's, like, such a Lyndon B. Johnson, you know? Like, humble beginnings, and now he can't shut up about his big dick. Oh, man, that's exactly what Malfoy says about him. (laughs) Yeah. Humble beginnings, can't shut up about his big dick, is overly reliant on a super smart woman who has, like, hitched her wagon to him for some reason. She has. LBJ, all the way. That's true. Uh, I think that's a pretty, pretty uh, accurate assessment. And he's also just kind of a dum-dum, which I love about this fic. It really captures, like, Harry's isolated upbringing that then also functions as, like, a, a true lack of curiosity on his part, like, both intellectually, but also just, like, generally about the world, you know? Like, HP, if I can call him that, uh, doesn't, like, ask a lot of questions, <laughs> like, of himself or, like, yeah, of the world, you know? <laughs> Living that unexamined life. <laughs> yeah, he's just, like, really just, like, he's like, oh, we're doing this now? Okay. Oh, I'm a really good seeker? Okay. Like, youngest in a generation? Okay. <laughs> Well, listen, we couldn't have told that whole book from the perspective of a thoughtful person because then the anti-Semitism, the uh, AIDS metaphor being problematically handled, like all of that stuff would have been way too obvious if we heard the book from Hermione's perspective. Uh, So thank God we were just on the shoulders of a hot jock. Hot jock millionaire, Harry Potter. Secret millionaire. He, I'm curious, when you were reading this fic, were you picturing the actors from the movie? I tried really hard not to. I, I actually, like, actively tried to divorce Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grant from the three. It was easier for me to unyoke Tom Felton from Draco. I actually spent a lot of time in Harry Potter fandom as an undergraduate, both writing and reading and like being a part of it. I there was a fan artist that I was really really into and I actually ended up doing like a profile on her for my final uh, project in one of my classes which was super cool and her art especially I tried to picture because she had the hottest Draco ever. It's super hot, right? Like imagine a Skarsgård. Imagine a Star-Lord? A Skarsgård. Oh, a Scors a Scorsgård? Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Yeah, and so, like, imagining Draco like that, rather than Tom Felton, who's just a little bit, like, when Ron calls him a ponce, and, like, yeah, that's that's Tom Felton, but if you, like, imagine a Skarsgård. I did not picture the actors either, but it was pretty easy. Like, it was harder for me if I tried to think of the actors. Um, and I and I think that's, I feel like this fic is one of those that would be pretty easily translatable into 
a romance, just like a regular ass novella. You know what I mean? Divorced of its context. I think it was maybe I'm saying that as someone who like I I am 31 like I grew up reading Harry Potter like I can't actually ever be sure of my assessment of a Harry Potter fic but that's my that's my guess. Harry is living with Ron, Hermione is going to law school. Harry is kind of adrift. Ron is working at the joke shop to help his brother going through a hard time. I won't spoil that downer for you. They discover that Draco has also been living in Muggle London, doing a hard grift just because he wanted to, I think the reason he gives is to Harry, the deeper reason, is that he wanted to prove that he could stand on his own two feet, that he was a worthwhile person, even without, you know, the Malfoy black legacy behind him. Yeah, there's actually a really beautiful part where he talks about, like, because Harry's like, well, you could have done that in the wizarding world. Like, you didn't have to join the muggle world in this way. You don't have to live without magic. And Draco's like, no, like, wherever I go, I have the dark mark. People know what that means, and they make assumptions about me that I can't escape. Yeah, correct assumptions. Correct assumptions, absolutely. And so, like, he has to divorce himself to try his wings, as it were, in a world where it's like, oh, that's a weird tattoo. Do you want to tell me about it? And he's like, absolutely not. And it's like, cool, don't. <laughs> so a lot of the context is he's living with like five other muggles. He's living this very bohemian lifestyle. And Harry is still surrounded by the witches and wizards he grew up with. Like he's always going out with like Luna and Dean and Neville. And then and Seamus. And Seamus. And Jenny eventually leaves him and starts dating mm-hmm. Neville. And he's kind of like, yeah, I think like what I found so interesting is that it really does capture that thing of when you're post-grad, you get this resetting. It kind of reminded me of Normal People by Sally Rooney, uh, where they kind of go back and forth as far as like the power dynamics are and like, and not just like literal power dynamics. It's pretty subtle stuff. But, like, Harry is less cool. He's, like, less groovy than Draco. And he also has less vivacity. Like, this world isn't, like, new and sparkling to him because he grew up in a muggle household. But for Draco, it's all completely brand new because he was so isolated from muggledom. I also think it's this beautiful rumination. Like, okay, it runs into this problem that we talked about with the love hypothesis, how creating an AU allows you to kind of soften the edges of all of the like villain issues. And this book does not. And so it's really interesting, or this story does not. And it's really interesting seeing how this author navigates, how do I redeem Draco? And I think it lands pretty well. I agree. I think this really sticks the landing. Well, there are a couple of spaces where I think like this fic unfolds and I think it gives itself full time to do a couple of things to redeem Draco. One, it foregrounds the fact that he was a kid, right? Like he's raised by fascist wizarding Nazis in a really isolated, really inbred family. Yeah. And so like there's that part of it. And then it also reminds us continually that Draco was a child and that 
that is not an excuse, but it is a specific and important context to understand the trauma that Draco is really trying to understand, remedy, and then atone for. And that's the other then part is that Draco is very interested in atoning for his sins as he sees them. And those are like really three deep questions Mm -hmm. that I've never seen a Kylo fic attempt. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because the thing about Draco Malfoy is that the original text depicts him as overwhelmed, afraid, conflicted. Yes. And as a child, you know, like we we see mm. his, how his father treats him, who his mother is and and how her redemption arc works. But also just how long it takes him in the 6th book to like gin up the courage to like murder someone. Yeah. Yeah. Like that doesn't exist really for Kylo in Star Wars. That because that's not that good. It's interesting because I would say they're both properties that are targeting children, right? A very young audience. But I think it's interesting. Well, I mean, one's a book, a series of enormous books. <laughs> the other one is um, three yeah, movies. for sure. So I guess that accounts for probably a lot of it. But I, I really like that this fic uses that groundwork and kind of just goes with that like doesn't try to make it everything feels very justified and earned within the world even if this overall existence of the main characters in muggle london feels a little discordant like i felt like it aligned really well with the original text but i f- did not feel like this was in any way like in jk rowling's voice or anything like that it felt very divorced from that I agree. I think that's absolutely a super good point. Like, this is not J.K. Rowling's Draco Malfoy. It's not even her Harry Potter at this point. It is this author's version that does align really well. Like, this is what's so great about fanfic, and as we've talked about on the show numerous times, it's like, it's such a good scaffold. This takes the scaffold and then puts flesh on the bones. And it's flesh on the bones that feels correct. Like, I could envision these characters, which is why I, at first, tried really hard not to view them as the movie actors. And then, as you said, it it was easy for you not to see them that way. It became easier for me that way because they are so lived in as characters and the, the choices that they make are earned by the text itself. And, like, that's the beauty of fanfic that, like, Harry Potter in so many ways doesn't belong to J.K. Rowling anymore. Yeah, I mean, mean, yes, 100%, which is pretty incredible because J.K. Rowling has such a thorough world building. Um, And, of course, we want to say J.K. Rowling does not have healthy, reasonable worldviews. And I think that was always kind of leaking in the book. Yes, it was actually present. And (laughs) I didn't notice it as a kid. No. Boy, howdy, it's it's pretty there now. Yeah, and like revisiting. So I I spent a lot of time in my 
thesis reading fan fiction and rereading all of the Harry Potter books and Cursed Child and realizing that like a lot of her subconscious stuff does end up in the fic world. Um, I mean, transphobia wasn't on my mind at the time, but like a lot of racial stuff, a lot of anti-Semitism felt very obvious to me when I was reading it as an adult. Likewise, homophobia. Um, so, you know, and, and that's just to say, like, you may not consciously have these ideals, but they if you're especially if you're working in fiction. And I also feel like the more fantastical you think your fiction is, the more close to the bone of yourself you can find yourself, you can find your writing. But she, I, speaking of close to the bone, I feel like this fic does that thing where it takes this like fluttering relatability and like hues the characters closer to you. I also love the idea that this fic, this fic really does follow the structure of the, the timeline and the structure of the book. It starts in May 1999. Which is wild to think about, but yeah, the <laughs> the books take place in the late eighties, early nine or uh, early nineties through late nineties. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it even though it follows that structure, it, it yeah. Do J.K. Rowling's characters belong to her anymore? In the capitalist sense, they do. Yeah, legally. Legally. But no, I think the horse left the barn. And like one thing that I will say about J.K. Rowling, you know, her worldview is totally fucked. But she was an early adopter of knowing how uncontrollable fanfic would be. So like in comparison, George R.R. Martin was like, don't write fanfic. And on fanfiction.net, if you were writing Game of Thrones fanfic, it would be taken down. And there are a bunch of authors, especially in fantasy and um, sci-fi, that would do that. People, authors were really precious about it. Yeah. Shout out to my girl, Anne Rice. <laughs> Gone but not forgotten. <gasps> not my And J.K. Rowling never did that. Like, absolutely never did that. She took the position that if it gets people but mostly especially kids writing then that's a positive and I think as soon as that happened but like it's also like you can't divorce JK Rowling from like the advent of the internet right like the first two Harry Potter books hit the U.S. in 1996 and 1997 and it's like they, they like blew up together and so like yeah the horse was out of the barn but the barn was like built at the same time that the horse was running so like it it, it, you know what I mean it's like uh, Harry Potter is what it is because of the internet and the internet and fan fiction especially owes a lot to people who loved Harry Potter in the late 90s and early aughts and like you just really can't like shake those things apart one of the things that I've loved about the Harry Potter fandom is like the Harry Potter musical, which came onto YouTube in 2008. And you know who didn't come after? Darren Chris and a bunch of grads from the University of Michigan? J.K. Rowling and her lawyers. They're like... I, I thought they did get They sued. did not. Not even by Warner Brothers? Maybe by Warner Brothers, but it wasn't by the J.K. Rowling estate. Um, Here's my thing. 
she didn't really have to fight that fight. That's true. That's that's a really good point. And there's like, and I understand. She just got to be the good guy in that. You're right. You're right. And like, I also think there's something like, oh, I'm totally okay with fan fiction. But like, if you're truly okay with other people's interpretation of your world, why are you constantly creating new canon? Hmm. That fills in all the gaps. Like, that feels like a lot of... I I mean, like, there's a possibility that it's just, like, a lot of creativity, right? A lot of world building. Maybe. Or it's a lot of control. Or it's both. And listen, the stuff that she's created, like, post, pre, during, like, all the stuff that she wrote when the, the new movie series was coming out, the Scamander stuff. Grin... Commander. Yeah, the Newt stuff, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Like, all the stuff that she wrote about America and, like, the indigenous stuff that she tried to shoe in. Heinous. Yeah. Heinous. Honestly, for a human being who's written a book series as popular as this and as much time and money as this person has on their hands, like, she should have done known better and didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's all, it's it's not great. That's the other thing. It's like, I feel like I would definitely take the route of quitting while I'm ahead. Yeah, me too, dude. I think there's elegance to that. And I think the more canon you build, the less. At some point, there was whimsy with it when Tolkien did it, you know, because I understood. (laughs) Was there whimsy when Tolkien did it? It's also kind of like intense and sad. It's intense and sad. He was like a linguist by trade. So the fact that he invented whole languages and then wanted to tell you how he invented those languages and how those languages came to be. I'm like, I understand that as like a project of an obsessive person versus like J.K. Rowling. I sort of understand her later canon building as like shoehorned, potentially money grubbing. Yeah. And it was never as well resourced as Tolkien anyway. So like, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's a long history of authors perhaps overdoing it. And I'm thinking of H.P. Lovecraft amongst them. But I don't know if I'm just thinking of these problematic figures because we're talking about Rowling, you know? I think, like, characters and a basic story always belongs to the author. But I think, like, this fic only belongs to Ignatius Trout. I feel that way generally about Harry Potter fic, where it's like, there's a pretty clear delineation. And I think part of why I feel that way, especially with this fic, is the lived-in nature of the characters. And like, so for instance, the story is about Harry Potter falling in love with Draco Malfoy and vice versa. But there's this moment where Harry Potter discovers that he is bisexual, And there's this whole, like, several paragraphs where he's like, no one told me that this was a thing. And there was no class at Hogwarts. And there was no books. And there was, like, there was no sex. Oh, yeah, no sex ed at Hogwarts. No sex ed at Hogwarts, even though it's, like, a ton of pubescence just, like, living on top of each other in towers in a castle, isolated for months at a time. Um, Yeah. And the fact that there's, like, literally no discussion and that he only vaguely is aware of the fact that gay people exist and that he 
is not exclusively that, even though in his mind, he's like, I know I've always looked at blokes. I've just like never examined that because like, why would I like, which gets back to my first point about like, I feel like this author understands Harry Potter's lack of internality in a way that is both super correct and super funny. But is also like subtly trolling the canon itself, where it's like, mm. here is an obvious plot hole problem of Hogwarts between Defense Against the Dark Arts and Potions. There should absolutely be some fucking basic sex ed. And the fact that there isn't is a problem. And like Harry Potter can live to the ripe old age of defeating Voldemort and being a 20 something with ennui and only just discover that he's by talking to Draco Malfoy. Yeah, I feel like there was something where, like, Hermione had to go have, like, a private converse, like, all the girls got talked to and all the boys got talked to. But that could have just been that actual thing happening to me, overlapping when I was reading the books. And now the wrinkle in my brain. Well, there's the thing about the Yule Ball where the boys and girls are separated by sex, which is not great, but, like, there's a part where, like, the what do you mean? boys are separated from the girls. And it's not just in the movies, it's in the books. And they're like taught like dancing and like how to act. But it's not about sex. It's like etiquette. Oh, right. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. There are like you bringing up the word bloke reminded me of like that was such a pull for me where I was like, I don't think that would that word was used in the <laughs> original text. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like losing some of the shedding some of the canonical voice and replacing it with this new voice in a good way in a bad way or just like it stuck out to you it just stuck out to me i guess in a weird way maybe not to jump ahead maybe that's my weirdest part is these like slip slippages also like the idea of having like a fancy coffee shop in i guess london's pretty cutting edge but in 2000 feels very, like, not accurate. <laughs> I think one of the questions that I had, if we want to, like, move to weirdest part, is, like, I understand how Malfo- Malfoy gets to the point where he's taking stock of his choices and decisions during the Wizarding War and, like, both, like, looking at it in terms of personal responsibility but also putting it in the context of, like, his parents and his lineage. I'm curious about, like, how he leaves the manor And, like, shows up in Muggle London and knows how to do anything. Like, how does he find out how to buy Muggle clothes? Because, like, one of the details that stuck out to me... Yeah. As just, like, a... As a, like, a a thread that my nail caught on was that he has very fine clothes. And Harry takes notice of his fine Muggle clothes. And it's, like... And, like, the offhanded answer in the fic is that, like, well, he was purchasing them with his parents' money before he, like, cut himself off from his parents. Yeah, he was sneaking off to, he was sneaking off to London before he made the big break. Right. But then, like, that gets into, like, how did he exchange his wizarding money for regular muggle money? And, like, how did he figure out how to use a credit card or, like, muggle cash? I just like those questions like that where it's like I didn't have to question it in J.K. Rowling because like that's not the that's not what the canon was like interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah. And and for this, since like it is about Draco making a spiritual and values break with his family in a really specific way, I was like, how did he 
how did he begin that? Like, what did that really look like? Because he, like, it's funny because his muggle friends are like, he's still confused about money. <laughs> what kind of boarding school did you all go to? And it's like, we get the joke. Yeah. But I'm also, like, curious. Like, how 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 did that start? I also think there's, like, explanations of how Harry doesn't hear Hermione and Ron having sex. But, like, we know we have no clue how money works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know what? That's the magic of romance. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I think those, like, like points of slippage, like, taking the muggle world seriously is not something that happens in... Like, any time the muggle world appears, it's in, like, some kind of ridiculous through a mirror darkly situation. Like, the flying car comes to mind. Um, or, like, everything Arthur Weasley had going on. And this fic kind of takes those things seriously because it has to, right? And, like, not only does Draco stop using magic altogether, but he's, um, like, running an espresso machine, which feels like peak muggle scurrying around. And I think there's even a line in the fic where Draco talks about how amazing it is how humans have found these solutions as opposed to just, like, waving their wands. They've had to, like... Yeah. Go through far, had to crawl through a window, and he thinks it's like brilliant the ways they've done that in. And I think, I think that's a bit, yeah, I think it's a weird part. I, you know, like those, like the bloke thing, it is a weird part. It's not a bad part because I, like, look, if I was like interested in, and I was, I would just read Cursed Child. (laughs) But like, I want to, I want to experience something fresh. And different. I think that's something that fan this like exercise in fan fiction has shown me is that I've I always thought like I went to fan fiction because I wanted more and not different. But I think for me personally, but I think in actuality, like no, I was for sure interested in different. Yeah. And for me it's a yes and situation. I'm like absolutely more and absolutely different. (laughs) I can I talk about another weirdest part? Absolutely. Since you kind of like jumped on my coattails with my original. I'm so sorry. Weirdest part. Yeah. Well, it's okay. I mean, like never do it again. <laughs> I'm going to try. I can't promise anything. Like <laughs> not a mind reader here. PDA. Mm. There is a part before Draco and Harry confess their feelings for one another where Draco is like, oh, I'm so cold. Button up your coat around me. And they're acting silly. And then, you know observing through harry potter's perspective the people reacting to them on the street right and being like skeezed out by it and i was skeezed out by it i would be so skeezed out by that two two adults one buttoned into the other one's coat walking around like a like a i don't know some kind of turtle beast it was also just like a little too cutesy for Malfoy. I'm like, you jump the shark on that guy's character. It's it's very cutesy, but like PDA is like one of the most like fraught subjects in the world. I think like no one's comfortable observing it. Some people are tolerant of doing it more than others. But it's like this super fraught subject, but it comes up in romance fiction all the time and in like really baroque ways well it's because it's a like top five fantasy is it a top pda public sex being wrapped up 
Well, public sex is sex is different from like getting buttoned up in someone's coat. Like yeah. people aren't necessarily. I'm not. I'm not talking about public sex. Public sex doesn't happen that frequently. But like making out in a museum, the wrist kissing scene in Beast, which I will never let go of at the garden party, and that one's especially bad because they're like trying to be sneaky, and her parents see. Ugh, ugh, yick, <laughs> right? And then, like, this kind of thing, though. The buttoning up the coat. I prefer the wrist kisses to this. A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would prefer the wrist kisses to this. But, like, I also think of the fan fiction romance novel we read. Pretty, they were just, like, making out on somebody else's lawn. Yes. And in a museum. I mean, the list goes, oh, my God. The lap-sitting scene in The Love Hypothesis mortifying i was just thinking about the public transit scene in that casey mcquiston book i've been thinking about that book a lot lately Mm. but yeah the public transit scene there are levels like in the public like in the public transit scene like we talked about in beast with the wrist kissing scene like they're trying to be sneaky only a few people see them, amongst them her pa- parents. Um, there's the public transit scene uh, where they're on the train, but the train is super crowded, and that's what allows them to feel anonymous. But then there's also, like, the museum with, like, a field trip visiting or a talk mm-hmm. where you're sitting in the front row about in someone's lap. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude, yeah. Getting bundled into a coat. On a busy street in London. Yeah, like, I would love for someone who has that, who, like, does not congeal like I do. Like, I did not congeal with the Casey McQuiston one or the Judith Ivory one. Absolutely vomed in my mouth with the other examples. What is it about the other examples? Like, what is the pleasure there? Like, I cannot, like picture myself in that situation i also can't picture myself as like an omniscient third in that situation and not feeling ridiculously uncomfortable so thinking about the the museum one the thing about it was that it was furtive and wrong that was part of the sexy part of it and the other part of that sexy if i'm remembering the scene right is that like they just couldn't keep their hands off each other like that's part of it too that's like part of the sexy factor is like i just i just can't help myself that's not what's happening in this scene in the fic and so like there are levels there are differences like the one that i like this one feels discordant to me in particular because like our characters hadn't earned that yet in terms of their friendship. So, like, even if this was Malfoy being, like, cute, affectionate human friend mm. versus, like, a flirty love interest, neither of those things had been earned yet in terms of our characters. And so, like, it felt discordant. And then it's also just, like, this coat isn't that big. <laughs> you you are actively walking. Like now you now you've made it awkward, and there are people behind you. Like I hate being stopped when I'm like walking on a busy city street. Like come on, like people got places to go. Yeah, I didn't like that scene either, for those reasons. I didn't feel that it was unearned because I I can kind of I could kind of identify that Draco was kind of doing like a hail mary for physical closeness which is absolutely something you do when you have a crush on a person. 
And this book does a great job of describing all of that. All of those like shoulder touches and like knuckle bumps and all the things you do to feel closer to someone. And as someone who doesn't really think through their actions all that well, I can I can see how Draco would end up <laughs> asking Harry for that. Like, I can imagine it, like, it seems like something, like, a 13-year-old would do. Sure. But they're in their 20s. But they're in their 20s. And, like, I don't know why I would want to write about it, you know? Mm-hmm. That teenage feeling, maybe. Nothing else like it. Only two people in the world. Those are your weirdest parts. What's your sexiest part? Well, this is a very sexy fic. As someone who appreciates a slow burn longing, I loved it. But, you know, the sex scene is sexy. One of the things that I found really attractive, I want to read the the part. Um, He talks about Harry doesn't realize he can be bisexual. And he talks about the things that are, like, physically... He, like, notices a man from behind, and he notices how his hair curls. Mm-hmm. And he it makes him think about how sometimes when, like, men lift their arms above their heads and, like, their shirt lifts up a little bit in the front. And then he also thinks about, like, the way women can smell good all the time for no reason. And he's just, like taking stock of things that are sexy and they're all kind of like fluttering together and it was just a very very sexy passage the boy at the till has his back to the shop his bony elbows on the counter as he speaks to the tall pretty girl behind there with him this back is thinner than the other boys sharper and longer shoulder blades quite obvious and harry wonders why he's paying so much attention to people's backs A great big hulking thing like that, the boy is saying. The upper-class accent is familiar, though for a moment Harry can't imagine why. The girl, who has a very short haircut Harry always rather likes on girls, snorts. The boy turns around and it's Draco fucking Malfoy. Malfoy's hair is falling in his face in need of a trim, not as polished as it used to look, but his fingernails, hovering awkwardly at the till, are more clean and, and managed than Harry can ever hope for his uneven bitten nails to look. The collarbones and bony wrists poking through his shirt make Harry realize that Malfoy should probably look less pointy than he did the last couple years of school. But he doesn't. He's still quite as skinny. The few people inside are scattered here and there among the round reading newspapers. One boy, perhaps Harry's age, is using a laptop on a window seat. It looks nice and cozy, actually, to be sitting there like that. His back is to Harry, and for a moment, Harry's glance lingers over it, over the boy's wide shoulders and his t-shirt, and the way his dark hair curls at his neck, noticing like he tends to notice these things, until he realizes what he's doing, shakes himself mentally, and approaches the counter. Like, there's all these little moments of, like, this fic has this beautiful way of just observing people being beautiful. And it is, like, delicious. It's delicious, right? To, like, it feels weird and voyeuristic, but it also feels, like, really satisfying. And it also thinks it's satisfying in twofold. It's, like, the satisfaction of agreeing with those sentiments like thinking like yes i like those things too i like to read about them described that's how much i like them but also like imagining seeing them and when you see them but then also imagining being observed like that like people are secretly thinking about like 
beautiful, sexy things you do in your everyday life. It's so like tactile and like specific and like zoomed in. And it's full of longing. And that's to say nothing of like the shoulder brushes and things like this is a very, very sexy fic in my estimation. I totally agree. It's very sexy. I love that the sexiness feels like a surprise. And that's because like Harry is like coming into a burgeoning Mm. internality. So there's a scene where he's invited Draco over to his apartment that he shares with Ron uh, because Ron and Hermione are going to be at her parents' house. Yeah. And he uh, he's not quite sure why he's done it. And he, like, thinks that he's – he, like, rationalizes it that he's, like, doing Draco a solid and, like, cooks for him. And, like, you know, Draco's like, this is very romantic. And he's like, it's not romantic. Yeah. yeah. Drink your wine that I made. <laughs> And so, like, it's so curious how, like, moments that are funny, and I think, like, this also felt very true to life, where it's, like, Draco talks about missing magic, because he's, like, divorced himself from that world, and Harry's like, well, your wand worked okay for me, maybe my wand will work for you, do do you want to just do some magic? And there's, like, a weird moment where it's, like, there's a shared trauma, Mm -hmm. and, like, it was fun, and now it's not fun, and there's, like, kind of a haunt, and then... Draco says yes, which feels like an ex- like like a hand extended, and then he just like gets giddy, right? Like doing the thing that he like was raised to, like a whole part of his world that he's just like been closed off for, and like then he like transfigures the couch into a bed that just like happens to fit two people, <laughs> and like it's so winsome, right? Like it doesn't feel like a put on or a come on it like he's like he transfigured the couch into a bed because it's comfortable and he's really good at transfiguration and but also it is a put on and a come on totally but like harry doesn't see it that way and so like there's like a sort of like you know you get to observe harry's surprise of Draco even as you know yeah but Harry and so it's like looking over his shoulder it's like a kind of like sexy dramatic irony (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is so silly and so well done so then they're on the the couch bed together and like they're having this like very earnest and like very deep conversation there are times where like Harry just like brushes Drake but like the lead up to Harry brushing Draco's hair off Draco's forehead is excruciating excruciating it's so good oh my god I thought I was gonna die I was like and it's like it's so goosebumps and like he's just like it's so good it's very dreamy it's so dreamy I just I loved that I just like I couldn't get enough of it I like just watching someone screw up all of their courage to brush someone else's hair off their forehead like fucking get out do you like miss that about being a teen absolutely oh just about being like I think just about being a single person I can touch my husband's hair like whenever (laughs) yeah I have carte blanche for hair touching you know that's true I think that's one of the things I like to read most is because I'd love to get like someone was like would you like to redo a part of your relationship I would just be like yes the very beginning only (laughs) that's what I I would like to go back to that where it's like (laughs) you like touch a forehead and then like 
they like that you touch the forehead or you send a text and then they text you back and you get that like little buzz like that little bit of ambiguity just makes everything so much more rich (laughs) and vibrant vibrant I'm so glad that you used that word because I was about to say like there's a moment where they're not even touching but they're like vibrating next to each other it and it is. It's like it is yeah. vibrant. It's colorful. It's like warm. It saturates all of the senses, but it literally vibrates. Like you're so in you're so attuned to this person. You're so into them. Like you were like shaking with it. And there's like these moments where like you're not you can never be sure if the other person is on that same wavelength as you. And then you get these like glimpses that maybe they might be. And it's invigorating, but also scary because it feels like, what if they're not? Like, I'm just like going to be like horribly, dis- wretchedly disappointed at the end of this. It's it's um, it's an exhilarating thing to read. It's why I like reading it so much, I think. It's just like functioning on all levels. I also think one of the ways that this works, this particular brand of longing in this fic works, is because there is zero reliance on a miscommunication trope Mm -hmm. like these people are being careful with each other because they have a complicated history and their assumptions are reasoned and earned for like why the other person might not feel the same way harry tells hermione and ron like hey i'm friends with draco like we we hang out you know he eventually tells them and Hermione and Draco almost immediately have a conversation with each other. Draco invites Hermione and Ron to his flat's Christmas party, and then they have a conversation. And then right after Draco and Harry have sex for the first time, Draco has a difficult conversation with Harry where he's like, hey, I can't be like your experimental phase, and then allows for that resolution. Like, this is where, like... It's not miscommunication. It's like guarded communication. And I think that can work really well in a romance. I think so, too. And I think this 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 fic is so good. I, I think guarded communication is correct. But also, like, it's very honest. Like, when he tells Harry and Hermione that he's, like, having a friendship with Draco, Hermione's like, I don't think... Like, you can be friends with whoever you want. Like, you're an adult making adult choices. But, like, I don't think I can ever be okay with that person because they called me this awful thing. Yeah. And Ron tries to, like, play peacemaker in a way that I was like, boy, this person is doing a lot to rescue Ron for me, who's, like, not a character <laughs> I really ever enjoy. And I- Ron's grown up. Ron's in his 20s now. Yeah, and, like, Ron is really grown up in this situation with his two best friends, one of whom he has a sexual relationship with in Hermione. And, like... Is like, you know, maybe Draco's changed. And she's like, I don't think you can ever change that much. And all of her, like, Harry, you get to do what you want. Mm-hmm. These are my concerns. And, like, these are my personal feelings. Yeah. Um, and I'm worried for you for X, Y, and Z. Like, that's so clear and so nice. And, like, absolutely, it was so nice not to see it be miscommunication so much as, like, I'm not going to tell you everything right away because, like, that's not where we're at. Yeah. Um, which felt both, like, true in real life, but also, like, super true to these characters. Yeah, 100%. I think it's just a, a really skillful way of doing things. I think about miscommunication. Everyone ha- – I've never heard someone be like, do you know what I love? Miscommunication trope. It's true. I understand. Reading something like this 
in general makes me understand why people think that they can land it. Mm-hmm. I also, I was watching the new Love Island and there's this guy on the show and he's kind of TikTok famous. He's a sheep farmer and he goes on the show and he is like the last one who's matched up with anybody and he's very goofy and funny and like all of the women are like, I never know what he's going to do. He's so hilarious, but none of them are actually like sexually attracted to him. And he's paired up with this one woman and they're having a conversation and he's like, do you have any tattoos? And she's like, no, I don't. And he's like, she's like, do you? And he's like, yeah, I have one tattoo on my ankle. I got the initials of a girl I met on holiday of all things. Like, and I just like tattooed her initials on my ankle. And she was like, why would you tell me that? He was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, well, what? You shouldn't tell me that. You should have lied to me. And he was like, no, I'm not going to lie to you about that. Why would I lie to you about that? And it really showed me that there are people who are living their whole ass lives being like, I wish you would lie to me about your ankle tattoo. That's how you show me that you care about my opinion. And maybe that's who's writing the miscommunication (laughs) trope. Maybe that's who's doing it. Yeah, that feels right. That's a good encapsulation. Like, adults shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like... That's not that big of a deal, like someone with a past, someone who made a silly mistake. Yeah, it should be like an endearing facet now that you know about a person. Yeah. Sounds like he sounds like he goes he jumps in with two feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's a combination of that and then also people who are good at miscommunication, which I'm pretty sure is only Ignatius Trout. Are there any other ones? Oh, <sighs> Laura Kinsale. Laura Kinsale does this. You're absolutely right in her... Um, my Sweet Folly. My Sweet Folly was really good at this. I also think, like, the... Was it The Prince of Midnight? Or the one that we both liked in France and then with the cult? Yeah, yeah. The Prince of Midnight. Prince of Midnight. Yeah, because, like, their constant guarded selves of... And, like, his total misread of her, which was a true misread. Yeah. I think that worked, too, because it it had to do with his, like, character development is how arrogant and self-absorbed he was and how that was preventing him from understanding her as a person. Right, because she wasn't giving him everything, but she was giving him what she could. Yeah. Yeah. Laura Kinsale. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. So unless you're Laura Kinsale or Ignatius Trout, tread lightly, my friends. Yeah, it's a delicate dance. Any other things that you want to bring up about this fic? I really enjoyed it. Um, I will be sharing links to all of the fics that were recommended to us. Um, If you were someone who wanted us to talk about Manacled, I hope you listened to the Shelf Love two-parter about it. Um, I will probably be reading Manacled in my free time. But, you know, there's... It's just like, if you can't make it out to your public library, log on to AO3. Yeah, you want to read what is essentially four books of uh, Harry Potter AU that's Draco and Hermione? Like, that's what that book is. 350,000 words. Is it AU? Yeah, Voldemort won the war. Oh, no. Oh, mm-hmm. no. I think there should be AU and then there should be AE. What's AE? Alternate ending. Ah, I like that. Yeah, because if I read AU, I'm like, they're in space. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What about you? 
Oh, man, this is a total romance for me. I was like... Oh, yeah, this is a whoa. Big whoa. This is... Yeah, big whoa. Big whoa energy. I don't like Draco, but I did in in the books... Um, I did understand, like, part of his victimization as a child. I think Rowling did do a good job of that, especially in book six. Um, and I think this text did such an excellent job of performing a slow burn that at its center is also about forgiveness in a public sense, but also forgiveness at, like, a the intimate personal level of, like, how do you forgive yourself? Mm-hmm. This text did such a good job. I just, like, every scene where Draco, like, has to, like, deal with that, which is also then dovetails so beautifully with, like, Harry Potter's trauma where it's, like, you've saved the world, now what do you do? Yeah. And I think this text deals with both of those questions with the same kind of even-handedness that they both deserve. Doesn't shortchange either of those journeys. And the fact that this text can braid them together is just, like, stupid fucking beautiful. Also, like, I didn't need to spend this much time thinking about Draco Malfoy's forearms, but, like, suddenly I am, and, like, I guess they're hot, and I'm, like... His elbows. Not mad about it, and I, like, love thinking about him in, like, this bohemian muggle flat with, like, people smoking pot and, like, giving him affection in a way that he has never had and, like, did nothing not to deserve... And so, like, suddenly he has it, and he and he really loves it, and he's really protective of it. And I loved that for him, too. Um, yeah, I didn't know that I wanted that for Draco until I read this fic, which is, like, suddenly learn something about myself. <laughs> he and Harry have a lot more in common than... Than they don't. Than a lot of... Yeah. Certainly a lot more in common than they would have with other people. Yeah. Um, so shout out to Alicia SMC on Instagram. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, it was excellent. I highly recommend it. It was excellent. Double woe. Are you going to look up more Ignatius Trout stuff now? Yeah, and I'm going to like follow my rabbit hole down some like Draco and Harry stuff, which is not a space I've spent any kind of time in. So, Well, I hope along the way you loosen your stays. But never your principles. <laughs> perfect perfect woli guacamole everyone thanks for listening to another episode of womance womance is hosted produced and edited by my friend morgan and by my friend isabel our logo artwork is by another friend mary reichman you can find her on instagram at m.reichman spelled r-e-i-s-c-h-m-a-double-n original music by nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzac. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.